Hello everyone and welcome to British Murders, the podcast that focuses exclusively on British murder cases with an occasional glimpse at horror movies. I'm your host Stuart Blues and this is the 8th episode of season 5. I hope you had a chance to listen to episode 7, focusing on the murder of 16-year-old Leanne Tiernan by John Taylor. It's an episode I'm proud of, so please give it a listen if you haven't already. Since then, I've also released an interview episode with former Met Police officer and crime fiction writer Neil Lancaster, as well as a horror movie review episode in which Lorraine from Once Upon a Nightmare and I discuss 2022's new film, Fresh. I appreciate you all bearing with me last week. I did have COVID. I've now kind of recovered from that. I'm still in the latter phases of recovery, but we are getting there. So I appreciate you bearing with me with those interview, film review kind of episodes. I just, I wasn't fully fit. My voice still might be a little bit croaky though, so just bear that in mind. Before we get into this week's story, let's break the ice a bit as we always do. The show's first opening icebreaker segment is this... Welcome to Daddy Facts. And this week's dad fact is... When using charcoal briquettes, be sure that they have gone completely grey before cooking over them, otherwise the chemical binders in the briquettes will taint the taste of your meat. We do not want tainted meat. I've done that before though, you sort of always underestimate how long it takes the charcoal to turn white, or grey in this case. The second and final opening icebreaker segment is this. The Serial Killer's Book of Haiku. Here is this week's haiku. Life disappearing. Gasping for air, I accept. He breathes. Mating time. A haiku is a Japanese poem made up of 17 syllables in three lines of 5, 7 and 5. It's also meant to be read in one breath. There's a link to the Serial Killers book of Haiku 2 by Rose Bundy where I get these in the episode description if you're interested in buying it. With my intro waffle complete, let's get into this week's episode. My good friend Christian Raphael suggested this week's case. Those who regularly listen to British Murders may recall that Christian was the guest host when we discussed The Devil's Disciple, Patrick David McKay, on May 20th, 2021. McKay, Mackay, we said it differently, he's from the South. We're in the West Midlands market town of Dudley this week, somewhere I don't believe we've been before on the show. Here are your five quickfire facts about Dudley. Number one, the anchor for the Titanic was produced in Dudley. Once completed, the anchor was towed to Dudley train station before being sent to Belfast where the passenger liner was completed. Number two, Dudley is classed as the capital of the Black Country, a term commonly used to refer to the West Midlands. It covers most of the metropolitan boroughs of Dudley, Sandwell, and only some minor parts of Walsall and Wolverhampton. Number three, British comedian Sir Lenny Henry, CBE, was born in Dudley. Number four, the ruins of Dudley Priory, located within Priory Park, are classed as a scheduled monument and are Grade 1 listed. And finally, at number five, Dudley Castle, located at Castle Hill, was built in 1070 CE, and the 40-acre Dudley Zoological Gardens are located within its grounds. With a population of 79,379, according to the 2011 census, Dudley is where the events of this week's story took place. 
We have two villains this week, partners Nathan Maynard-Ellis and David Leasley. This week's themes include dismemberment, rape, severe mental health, and a bizarre obsession with serial killers and horror movies. Continue listening as always at your own discretion. For context, the timeline of events in this story starts in May 2019. First, let me introduce you to Julia Rawson, a 42-year-old art enthusiast who lived on New Mill Street in Dudley. You know by now that I like to have a little wander around the areas covered in each episode. This week is no different, and the little small yellow asexual figurine mascot of Google Street View leads me to believe that Julia lived at Castle Court, an apartment building based at the Minories, just off New Mill Street. The eight-storey tower appears to have been an office block named Falcon House in its past life until it was purchased by ALB Black Country Properties in early 2016. There doesn't appear to be any other residential buildings on New Mill Street, so logically it appears as if that's where Julia lived. However, I may be wrong. Let me know. Known affectionately to her friends as Jew, Julia and her long-term partner Elaine Higginson had plans to move in together. The partners had been together for two decades and had lived together a few years earlier before briefly separating and then rekindling their relationship. Julia was well known in Dudley due to her infectiously positive nature and outgoing personality. She dressed in a manner that wouldn't put her out of place as the lead singer of a rock band, something her friends often joked about with her. With her nose ring and short black hair, Julia exuded confidence and you'd often find her in the pub supporting local bands and conversing with her many friends. She was the kind of person that, if you didn't know her personally, you certainly knew of her. Growing up in Stafford, a town 25 miles north of Dudley, Julia's love of art was such that she studied it there and at the University of Birmingham. Birmingham, or the UK's second city, as it is commonly referred to, is located about 10 miles east of Dudley for reference. To earn money, Julia and Elaine ran a stall out of Dudley Market, selling what my research described as pagan-related items. I'm not overly familiar with paganism, so feel free to correct me if this is inaccurate, but I believe the sort of items on sale would be candles, crystals, essential oils, charms, etc. May 11th, 2019 is the key date in our timeline, and it started as a typical Saturday for Julia and Elaine. The couple spent the day together in the neighbouring city of Wolverhampton, located seven miles north of Dudley. As the day drew to a close, the couple had different ideas of what to do next. Elaine wanted to head home to relax before calling it a night and going to bed. On the other hand, Julia was having a great day and didn't want it to end so early. After saying their goodbyes, the pair got on separate buses heading for separate locations. Elaine caught the bus home, whereas Julia got on a bus headed for Birmingham, or so she thought. Unbeknownst to Julia, she'd accidentally boarded the wrong bus, and was instead about to head back into Dudley. As far as mistakes go, that wasn't too bad. Julia lived in Dudley anyway, and knew everyone in her local pub. She knew she'd find some company regardless, so she went to the Bottle and Cork pub and ordered a drink. The Bottle and Cork opened in December 2018 and it's technically a micro-pub that focuses on selling gins, spirits and cocktails rather than real ales. Apparently there's no draft beer on sale. 
The pub is located about 150 yards away from Castle Court at the very top of New Mill Street where it meets King Street. Most importantly, within the bottle and cork is a very high-end CCTV system that records everything that goes on at the bar during its opening hours which are 5pm to 2am on Saturdays. CCTV plays a key role in this story as, without it, Julia's story may never have had the opportunity to be told. Julia had been in the bottle and cork for a few hours before a stranger walked through the doors at 10.47pm. On his own and carrying a shopping bag, the solo male sat down at the bar and ordered a drink. Not recognising the stranger, Julia introduced herself and showed an immediate interest in his distinctive forearm tattoos. Julia, being the friendly person she was, likely didn't want the man, who didn't appear to be from the local area, to spend the evening alone, so she kept him company until the pub closed at 2am. Not wanting the night to end, Julia was spotted leaving the pub with the stranger at the pub's closing time. Nobody knew it at the time, but Julia wouldn't be seen alive again. So who was this strange man caught spending that fateful Saturday evening with local socialite Julia Rawson? It was villain number one in this week's story, Nathan Maynard Ellis. British acid house DJ Adamski's breakthrough single Killer, featuring Seal on vocals, was number one on the UK singles chart when Nathan was born on May 21st, 1990. I hope the irony of that song name isn't lost on you as I explain what Nathan would go on to do 29 years later. According to my sources, Nathan has the form of autism known as Asperger's, which affects people's ability to effectively interact and communicate with others. As a result of his mental health problems and intense proclivity for violence, especially towards women, Nathan was well known to social services staff. The subjects of Nathan's dark thoughts primarily involve the torture, rape and killing of women. It may not surprise you that, given his abundance of dark thoughts, Nathan had what can only be described as an unhealthy obsession with true crime and horror movies. You may think that you enjoy true crime and horror movies, I certainly do, but Nathan's fixation with all things macabre will blow yours and mine out of the water. His incredibly stacked and disorganised bookshelf was full of books discussing the crimes of serial killers, including Levi Belfield, Peter Sutcliffe, Jeffrey Dahmer, Ed Kemper and Harold Shipman, just to name a few. Within what would later be described as his flat of horrors, Nathan also had custom horror movie masks all over his walls. He had a workbench with unfinished pieces on it. He had horror movie memorabilia and toys, including a huge Good Guys doll from the Chucky franchise. The cramped flat located on Mission Drive, a cul-de-sac in Tipton, was full to the brim of things of that ilk. Tipton is a town located three miles northeast of Dudley. Nathan was also reportedly once a criminology student, though I'm not sure where he studied it. Bringing the story back to our timeline, Julia and Nathan had left the Bottle and Cork pub and shared a taxi heading, presumably, to the Flat of Horrors in Tipton. The chain of events that happened once they arrived is unclear, but one can only imagine the fear that must have gone through Julia's mind as soon as she took her first step inside. Elaine Higginson had last spoken to Julia shortly before 11pm on May 11th before going to bed. As she woke up the following day, concerns immediately grew when she realised that several of her messages and calls had gone unanswered by Julia. 
It had been around 10 hours since Elaine had successfully contacted her partner. Understandably worried, Elaine contacted her sister Jacqueline to ask her what she would do in her situation. Jacqueline suggested phoning the police, but mentioned how it might also be good to retrace Julia's steps from the previous evening to see if any clues about her whereabouts could be found. After retracing Julia's route from the bus stop to the pub to Julia's flat, Elaine came up short. She found nothing to indicate that something out of the ordinary had happened, such as finding a piece of Julia's clothing or her phone. The police were then called, and a missing person search was conducted. Knowing that Julia was in the pub the previous evening, the police accessed the CCTV footage and noticed her speaking with a male at the bar. After asking Julia's friends and family if they recognised the man, the police were informed that he appeared to be a stranger. They had their first lead. Not satisfied with leaving the investigation completely in the hands of the police, Julia's friends posted appeals all over social media to see if anyone had seen Julia. Missing posters were placed around the community, hoping that somebody knew something and would come forward with information. The CCTV images of the unidentified male at the pub were passed to Police Community Support Officers, or PCSOs, a move which led to Nathan Maynard Ellis being found. On May 22, 2019, ten days after Julia was seen leaving the Bottle and Cork pub, a security guard at a Dudley shopping centre got in touch with one of the local PCSOs. The security guard said he had just seen an individual who matched the description of the male from the pub, and he believed it was the same person. One of the big giveaways was Nathan's forearm tattoos. He was wearing a t-shirt on the day he was spotted by the security guard, and, to be honest, he's a pretty recognisable bloke. He has a scruffy, medium-length beard, and he appeared to be wearing the same flat cap he wore in the CCTV footage from the pub. The moment West Midlands police confronted Nathan and his partner David Leesley was captured on body cam footage and is available to view online. Naturally, Nathan plays dumb and denies knowing anything about any missing women. He played it off as if he'd never even heard of Julia Rawson, never mind spending the evening with her at a local pub. Disturbingly, Nathan even jokes to the officers that if he was responsible for someone being missing for 11 days he'd probably have chopped all his hair off. It was a very uncomfortable joke from someone who had his back firmly against the wall. Satisfied that Nathan was the same person identified from the CCTV footage, West Midlands police arrested both men on suspicion of kidnapping Julia Rawson. During the subsequent search of the couple's flat, all the horror movies and true crime paraphernalia were found and photographed. The photos of Nathan's flat and comprehensive book collection are also available to view online. A stone's throw away from the couple's flat on Mission Drive is the Birmingham Canal, and located a short walk down the canal and up one of the side streets leading to the A457 was Victoria Park. On the other side of the canal is a large area of barren wasteland that leads onto a disused railway line. Plenty of areas for the police to conduct their search for Julia, plenty of places for the killers to dispose of the body. The story will continue after these quick messages. And now, back to the story. Despite the abundance of CCTV, there was nothing aimed at Nathan and David's flat, so officers could not tell what time Nathan and Julia had arrived there on the morning of May 12th. 
It also gave them no indication of whether Julia ever left the flat. As the news of Nathan Maynard Ellis's arrest went public via national news broadcasts, a female witness recognised the man she saw on her screen. He was someone who had previously abused her physically, sexually and mentally on numerous occasions in the past. The brave witness, who shall remain unnamed, immediately contacted the police and gave them the lowdown on what sort of person Nathan was. His dark thoughts and history of mental illness were explained in great detail, as were the assaults the witness had suffered at Nathan's hands. With the police feeling they had the man responsible for whatever had happened to Julia in custody, their search continued. Checking Julia's bank statements and mobile phone records didn't offer much evidence, as neither had been used since her last sighting. A break finally came when officers found CCTV footage of Nathan and David walking along the Birmingham Canal with large shopping bags full to the brim. The pair weren't spotted doing this once. They did it on a few separate occasions, which brought into question the contents of the bags. The next clue came in the form of a bloodstain discovered under a brand new carpet in Nathan and David's flat. As well as the new carpet purchase, an encounter that the staff member who sold it to them won't forget in a hurry, the two men bought a new sofa. But what did they do with the old carpet and sofa? CCTV footage shows them dumping them at the local tip, whilst unknown members of the public went about their business. When I say the local tip, I mean the local dump where people discard unwanted items. We call it the tip. A breakthrough in the case finally came a month and a half after Julia was reported missing. Another witness came forward, a male this time, and said that he recalled seeing two men who matched the description of Nathan and David walking across the barren wasteland near their flat whilst the witness was having a smoke break from work. While searching the site near where the two men were spotted, officers found two shopping bags roughly 20 metres apart. Within the bags were human body parts that would later be identified as belonging to Julia Rawson. More bags were then found near a fence by the disused railway line. Julia's body was cut into 11 separate pieces, with some of the cuts being done with almost expert precision. Having said that, some of the cuts appeared far more amateurish, which led the police to believe that more than one person was involved. That tied up with the story as two men, partners who lived together, were currently being held in custody. The more precise cuts were thought to have been done by Nathan, who had previous experience cutting up animals, whereas David was believed to be responsible for the more untidy cuts. More evidence was found within a garden incinerator at Nathan's mum's house. Bloodstains, clothing scraps and Julia Rawson's DNA were found within the incinerator's ash. Despite all the aforementioned evidence, Nathan and David denied murdering Julia, but they did admit they had spent the evening with her and were fully aware that she was dead. If they were to be believed, the whole situation had resulted from an unfortunate accident. It hadn't affected Nathan too much though, as he was spotted on CCTV on the evening of May 12th, 2019 at another pub. Dressed smartly in a shirt and, noticeably, no flat cap, Nathan appeared to have made an effort as he was spending the evening with his family. What's frightening is that back at the flat in Tipton, Julia's body was likely already distributed in the shopping bags ready to be dumped. All the while, her killers were sending each other text messages about their respective evenings, with David commenting on how hilarious a show he was watching was. With Julia's body parts recovered, a post-mortem was conducted. 
However, the pathologist was unable to establish a time of death or even a cause of death. Both of those were prevented due to the dismembered body. Therefore, we can only assume that Julia Rawson was murdered by Nathan and or David at some point between the early hours of May 12, 2019 and May 14, 2019. Neither of the men have confirmed how Julia died. By the time the trial came round, delays were frequent due to the COVID-19 pandemic. A month-long trial finally took place at Coventry Crown Court in mid-2020, which saw Nathan Maynard Ellis pleading not guilty to murder by way of diminished responsibility. This was a tactic he had seen during his time spent as a juror in a previous court case. David Leasley also pleaded not guilty and insisted he only helped Nathan in the aftermath of the murder. Nathan's mum entered the witness box to testify against her son, who had historically been violent towards her. She explained to the court how the couple had burned their bloody clothes in her garden incinerator. As the trial ended, the jury returned with a verdict of guilty for both Nathan and David. As with the trial, the sentencing was delayed and wouldn't take place until December 21st, 2020 at Warwick Crown Court. Sentencing judge Mrs Justice Sewell handed the following sentences out. Nathan Maynard Ellis was given a life sentence with a minimum term to serve of 30 years. He was found guilty of the murder of Julia Rawson, perverting the court of justice, preventing the burial of a body, attempted rape, and four counts of rape regarding the female witness who came forward after news of his arrest went national. David Leasley was given a life sentence with a minimum term to serve of 19 years. He was found guilty of the murder of Julia Rawson, perverting the court of justice and preventing the burial of a body. Detective Inspector Jim Colclough of West Midlands Police's homicide team had the following to say after the two men were sentenced. This is simply a tragic case. The actions of Maynard Ellis and Leasley are incomprehensible. Julia did nothing wrong that evening. The way in which she was murdered and treated in death are despicable. Julia's family, friends and the wider community in which this horrific killing has occurred are left devastated by the cruel actions of the pair. Fortunately, depraved crimes like this are rare, but their actions were sickening and it's been a complex and emotionally difficult case for us as officers to investigate. However, we were determined to seek justice for Julia and I hope their guilty verdicts provide some solace for her loved ones. My thoughts remain with them at this difficult time. And that was the story of British murderers Nathan Maynard Ellis and David Leasley. Thanks again to my good friend Christian Raphael for suggesting that case. I'd love to hear everyone's thoughts on it. I've got three new reviews to read out this week. Thank you firstly Apple Podcast user Jesus Has Saved My Life for leaving British Murders a 5 star rating and review. They said, I stumbled across this by pure chance and I'm really pleased that I did. Stuart's way of presenting is very informative with a little touch of humour added to lighten what can, at times, be a very morose and heavy subject. I'm currently working my way through the episodes from old to new and I'm really enjoying them. Being a fellow northerner, it's great to hear the correct words used such as tea for an evening meal and moor for more. Thanks and keep up the excellent work. That just makes me think of that song Jesus is a friend of mine from back in the day. I will not sing it but... If I did, it would be stuck in your head all day. 
Thank you, Steve from Chesham, for leaving British Murders a five-star rating and review on BritishMurders.com. Steve said, I drive lots of miles for work and love listening to podcasts to make the miles go quickly. Love how Stuart tells the stories and his remarks about the music of the time always makes me laugh. Keep up the good work, mate. And finally, thank you, R Monkey, for leaving British Murders a five-star rating and review on BritishMurders.com. They said, found you on TikTok at first, then stumbled on the podcast on Spotify. Didn't put it together at first, you were the same guy. Duh me. I do love your content. Thank you for this. Thanks again, Jesus has saved my life. <laughs> love that name. Steve from Chesham and R Monkey. Suppose you'd like to leave a review of the show and have it read on a future episode. You can do so on iTunes, Facebook, Podchaser, or by visiting BritishMurders.com. You can also leave star ratings on Spotify and voicemail messages via BritishMurders.com. If you'd like to support the show on Patreon or donate on a one-off basis via Buy Me A Coffee, you can find the links for each of those on my website. And please continue to email your case suggestions to BritishMurdersPodcast at gmail.com or message me via social media. You'll not only get the episode covered, but you'll get a cheeky shout-out too. That's it for this week. I've been Stuart Blues. This has been British Murders. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time. Cheerio.